We have two scripture readings. The first is from 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. So 2 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Where it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned and cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to... Rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Also turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. And we'll begin the reading from verse 11. So Genesis chapter 7, starting at verse 11, reading through to chapter 8 verse 5. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his son Sham, Ham and Javith and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. And they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swam on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days the waters had abated and in the seventh 
month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month, and the tenth month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we'll be referring back, particularly to Second Peter chapter 2. There's some things by way of introduction that we need to understand from this passage, passage of Scripture, and then we'll look at Genesis. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we know that your word is living and active. With the presence of the Spirit, it is able to give us hope, to give us comfort, to again reveal to us your grace in the way you rescue and remember your people. So, Lord, we pray that your word would be our comfort this morning and our strength, a challenge for us to commit to following and serving you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we have in Second Peter 2 is actually God's inspired commentary on the events of the flood of Noah. We can look at a variety of different commentaries and understand things, and, and that's appropriate and that's good. But what we have in Second Peter 2 is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter's reflection on uh, uh, what the significance and what the application of our consideration of the flood is all about. And that's what I'd like to look at this morning, first of all, by way of introduction. Because what Peter sets out here is a series of conditional statements. A conditional statement, very simply, is an if-then sort of statement. We use them all the time as parents. If you finish your dinner, then you can have ice cream for dessert. So there's the condition, if you finish your dinner, then there's the result, you can have dessert. That's how life works, isn't it? If this, then that. That's the way God has made things happen, and, and we use that frequently. And Peter uses this same sort of teaching, the same sort of logic to, to help us understand the wonder of, of the application of these truths. And there's a series of conditions here. If you, you have your Bibles open to Second Peter 2, you see it in verse 4, if. So the first statement, if God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell. The next statement is one we're interested in, verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. There's another if statement. Verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes. Verse 7, and if he rescued righteous Lot. So a series of conditions, but notice the conclusion that comes in verse 9. It's held off. Peter's kind of building his case. He's, he's going through a variety of scenarios, and, and then he comes to verse 9, and he's here. Here's the conclusion. Then, then, two things. First, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And the second, then God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. These two conclusions are what the Spirit wants us to understand, what God has given us this word for us to understand with regard to the teaching of Noah. 
It's these two conclusions that I would like us to work through. And, and just for your information, how it's going to work out first today, I'd like to look at the first result. Then God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Next week, we have the, the baptism of the Dunkirk children, and I'd like us to look at 1 Peter 3 with that. So 1 Peter 3 is, is another teaching about the flood, and it's about how baptism corresponds with the flood. Then, Lord willing, in three weeks' time, we'll deal with the second condition, that God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Now, how good God is. I wasn't sure which to start with. Do we start with judgment or do we start with rescue? And here in God's providence, on a, a Sunday when we're all hurting because of the, the terror attacks, we can hear how God knows how to rescue. Isn't that amazing? God knows how to rescue. He knows how to rescue the ungodly, or excuse me, the godly from trials. God is in control. We can trust him to rescue his people. It's for us to turn to him. And so that's what I would like us to look at this morning. How is it that Genesis 7 reveals to us the truth of our God, of who our God is, that our God is a God who knows how to rescue the ungodly. Now, the, 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 the very simple answer, well, of course, it's the ark. Granted, I'll give you that. But I think there's some words here and there's some truths here that are, that are being revealed to us that we need to, to mull over, that we need to munch on, that we need to consider and say, well, what is it about the ark that, that shows us that God knows, He knows precisely, and everything about this event is revealing to us that certainty that He knows how to rescue the godly. And there's two verses particularly, it's the text for this morning's message, two verses, verse uh, 16 and chapter 8, verse 1, that reveal to us God's knowledge. First of all, verse 16, And those that entered the ark, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. Listen to these words. And the Lord shut him in. God knows how to rescue his people by shutting the door. That's the first thing. Secondly, chapter 8, verse 1, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were within the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. God remembers. God shuts the door. He shuts him in. And he remembers. Thirdly, we're going to recognize that in this, God is calling us to commit to him and to his word. So that's the three points this morning. First of all, God shuts the door. Secondly, God remembers. And thirdly, he calls us to commit to his word. First of all, God shut him in. The Lord shut him in. Again, it's his covenant name that will be important in the next point, particularly that the Lord remembers. But it is the Lord God who shuts him in. That is Noah and his family and all the animals and everything that's ever going to exist after the flood, bar the fish, are shut into the ark. In the plans of the ark, God had designed that there was to be a door right there in the side of the ark 
Once everything is amazingly in the ark, the Lord shuts Noah and his family in. Interestingly, I don't know if you're aware of this, probably not, but I was reading through the commentaries. I wasn't aware of it, but in, in all the other flood accounts, you know, there's a lot of myths with, with flood narratives. and all the other accounts, it's the hero of the story that closes the ark. So it's Noah or whoever they may have as the hero in their flood stories. He's the one who closes the ark, but here... It's the Lord who shuts him in. Let's think about that. The Lord shutting Noah and his family in. It, it gives the sense at this point in the story that there is no way out and there's no way in. A year later, Noah gets out only by removing the covering of the ark. And yet God is showing how he knows to rescue the godly. This shutting the door is part of God's rescue plan. Can you imagine the sense of, of here everything's going into the ark and, and Noah is so thankful that the Lord has brought all the animals and all there and there's the door. They had the anticipation everything is going to be wiped out. Life will not be the same after they go into that ark because the flood is going to come and it's going to destroy everything. If the Lord shuts them in, would they ever get out? What does the future hold? God had given the plan, but it was completely, thoroughly untested. When we lived in, in Wisconsin, there was a maximum security prison there where I was allowed to teach and, and invited to teach. And, and the first time going in, there's that disturbing clank of the doors going closed behind you. And you know, if you're going to get out, somebody is going to have to open that door for you. Calvin in his commentary. It's an idea that struck me. Said the ark looks like a coffin. And there he goes into it. And the Lord shuts him in. Noah knows that God is going to destroy everything. But Noah knows as he goes into that ark, he is completely dependent on the Lord. God had given him his ark, his word. This ark is going to be the way that I will deliver you. This ark is my plan. It's my rescue operation. It's my provision. God had revealed this plan for his deliverance and he built the ark with a door in the side of all places dependent upon God to shut him in. Noah in faith depends completely on God. And he did everything. And yet, he still needed God to shut the door. 
the door wasn't shut, Noah and his family would perish. Now think about that in terms of the commentary. God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. What makes a trial so painful is that it exposes our vulnerability. It shows us our weakness. It reminds us of our inability and our failure to preserve ourselves. In short, any trial that we endure exposes our dependence and our complete reliance on God to intervene. Can you imagine trundling, Noah trundling up the loading ramp? Everything is safely, securely stowed away. The family is safely inside. The animals each in their place. All the food in its proper place. And then there's the door. And that entryway could easily take on a larger proportion than the whole ark. Isn't that the character of a trial we're going through? This soon consumes our whole thinking, our whole focus, our, our whole expectation. All of our, our waking moments are, are caught up in thinking about this trial and what we're going through. And that trial can, can, can overcome and overtake us in our, in our weakness. And we begin to wonder, how is it? And this word is, remember, remember Noah. Here's the condition. Here's the wonder of God's word. Here's the wonder of his commentary. Do you, it's a call to, to trust the Lord to provide for your safety. God has promised God has promised you and me, He's promised His people that His grace is sufficient for every trial. And God graciously intervenes and closes them in so that they will survive safe inside. God can preserve you. His grace and only His grace is sufficient. He doesn't cancel the flood. He preserves Noah through it. But then secondly, we come to that verse in Chapter 8, verse 1, God remembers. What does this mean? What does it mean? But God remembers. Notice there's the, the contrast there. All the flood is taking place. Everyone's being blotted out. And right there in the midst of the judgment, it says, But God remembered Noah. Did God forget? Not at all. What is God's Word teaching us about His character here? You will find this Word a number of times scattered throughout the Old Testament. It reveals to us how, how God looks upon His people and He intervenes in their lives. It has the idea of, of God drawing near to His people and acting the way that He has promised in 
His Word. Remember how significant that reality is. Remember what God had promised. God had promised there's the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And God remembers His Word about that. He remembers His his covenant of grace that He has established. That's what remembrance is. It's a remembrance of, of, of the, the arrangement that he has established with, with sinners such as you and I. God has graciously established a relationship with, with the seed of the woman, ultimately with Christ, and through Christ, all of his elect, and he will rescue. He remembers them. He doesn't forget. He holds on to them. God remains true to his word because he's given his word to them. And that's what we're to rely on for the sake of the promises made in the covenant. And it's not only that covenant of grace, it's that, that covenant that, that God established with Noah as, as Noah found favor in his sight. Remember, God, God came to Noah and he says, I will establish my covenant. It's, it's not yours, Noah, it's mine. I will establish it with you. And on the basis of that covenant realization, God remembers. For the sake of of that relationship that God establishes through grace with His children, God performs His promises. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We don't secure it. But we trust it. For the sake of the promises, Noah and his family and all creatures in the ark are saved. And there's a restoration. There's a restoration that begins when God remembers. This verse is a huge transition in the created realm. It will be unfolding in what follows. That now God, as He's he's wiped out and and changed the landscape of everything and destroyed every living creature that was not in the ark, and he's, He's brought His judgment so comprehensively to bear upon this world because of the sin and the guilt of mankind. What's going to happen? God remembers. And the word that God uses reminds the reader in the original language to go back to the origin of creation. And God made a wind blow. Now in the Old Testament, the word for wind is the same word for spirit. And it's the context that tells us whether it's the spirit who's active or the, 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 the wind, just the wind that's blowing. And, and here it's the wind blowing. But, but imagine the original reader hearing this in his language. It, it's ruach, incidentally. You don't need to remember that or write it down. But, but in, in the very beginning of creation, remember what we heard about this, the spirit of God, the ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Well, now all of a sudden with this flood, there's water everywhere. And what happens? God causes a wind. And the original hearer, or or the hearer in the original language, and and it struck me in reading this, a wind, well, that sounds just like creation. That's precisely the point. God, through His judgment, remembers His covenant. And says that which you think is going to destroy everything is actually going to restore creation. 
And that's what we'll see in the unfolding passages that follow from this text. A new earth with a restored creation mandate. God's remembrance will bring the world back from the brink of judgment and bring restoration. Thirdly then, we need to consider our commitment and committing to God's word. Why are these concepts, the Lord shut him in, the Lord remembers Noah, why are these ideas so important for us to understand? Because they reveal something to us about our God. They show us something. They reveal to us the wonder of his rescue plan. God saves his people. He shuts the door. He saves his people, but be aware. He doesn't save everyone. Grace, sovereign grace, his grace, his determined grace is his to give, not ours. His to establish, his to use. Sometimes we get the idea of God that he is obligated, that he is under obligation to save everyone. That along with shutting the door, he should have hung a ladder off the side so that those who wanted to could actually climb in and make it in on their own. Because they deserve to be delivered. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten that horrific statement that God has said with regard to man so much earlier in this account? My spirit shall not abide with man forever. God was grieved. He regretted that he had made man because every thought of the intent of his heart was only evil continually. That grace which saves is a grace that also declares without it you're condemned. God's judgment is certain. His salvation is supremely good. We're not His Apologist. He doesn't need us to defend him. We're his servants who know him and who witness to him and say the only hope for any is that God through his Spirit would open their eyes and soften their hearts and bring them to realize salvation is not in man's efforts. It's in the gift of his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news of God shutting in. That that grace is supremely good, just as it is selective. And that's not for us to determine. That's his determination. It's for our witness. That's why we're talking about committing to God's Word, because this means, this means that you have to 
There are no questions about it. You have to commit to this God who rescues. You have to trust Him. You have to know Him. There is no halfway house. There is no security platform on the ark. It's in or it's out. It takes complete commitment to be shut in by God. If you go skydiving, that's what you do with a parachute, isn't it? You have complete trust that that parachute will open and it will hold you. But this is a greater commitment. This is a greater call. This is a greater summons. There, there is no halfway house in God's kingdom. Oh, we try to do that. That's why we need to be rescued from trials. That, that's, that's why we, we need to, to commit to our God because we're going to face... And oh, it's heartbreaking to hear the news accounts. And to hear the commentators and to hear the people with this ambiguous spirituality when when such a disaster as these attacks in Christ's church. So that John Campbell says, pray or whatever you do, use it. Because we need help in this situation. It's heartbreaking. Do we not know where to turn to? Do we not know who to turn to? Or those ideas that the, the only way we can overcome this tragedy is, is with the love of men and, and human kindness. Oh, we don't want to say those hard words. There's the seed of terror that exists in my heart and in your heart that needs to be it. We need to be rescued from ourselves. Lord, save us from ourselves. And that's what he does. A complete dependence on God and his grace. To know and to understand if God knows how to bring judgment on the people in Noah's day, Be confident He knows how to rescue the godly in the day of trouble. And let's pray that God would would use His Word and use His grace and use this revelation of His work and and of His character as a sovereign God, as a a King with with that sovereign grace, with all the goodness of Jesus Christ to intervene and to call us out from the halfway house of thinking we we can just tack God on somewhere and we'll be safe. You can't. But we're also encouraged. We're not only called to commit, we're called to be encouraged. To be encouraged by God's word that in the midst of our trials, God can and he will rescue. We have his promise My grace is sufficient. He knows and he remembers his promise. 
Let his promises be more precious to you than all the wealth of the world, more desirable than wealth and fame. This promise doesn't mean that I'm so invincible that I can go stand on Dean Street in the midst of the bullets blazing and I'm going to survive. But it does mean what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He gives life and he sustains life by his grace. His promises are secure. They're all yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he is the rescuer of those in trouble. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the certainty and the clarity of your word that it exposes our own ambiguous spirituality and it breaks our hearts. And it summons us this morning to a complete commitment that it is only through your grace that there will be a restoration, a recovery of all that was lost by sin. We're thankful that the hope we have is not in the well-being of man because we see how wicked men can be. Help us to be honest and realize that as much good as we do, we can never do enough to offset all the hatred and all the hurt that we express. Lord, help your church to be clear with her message. Today, but every day, of the certainty of your grace, of the wonder of your goodness but also the certainty of your judgment and the certainty of your justice that those who do not commit to you will be shut out O oh Lord help us in this regard not to be embarrassed by you, but to boldly and faithfully confess your truth. And in these times to have wisdom, wisdom to speak with those who are hurting, not to compound their hurt by threatening judgment, but to offer comfort with a certainty of grace, that Jesus is a Savior for those who are overwhelmed by their trials. Help us to 
make known your rescue truths, your rescue plan, and to witness to this to those around us and those among us and to build one another up with your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.